Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. So hi, I'm Kirk Kroc from Performance Freediving International. I'm on the Big Scuba podcast with Gemma and Ian, and we're going to be talking about freediving and the world's oceans and a little bit of our time on Avatar. So come on and enjoy the ride. Here we are, once again. Welcome back to the Big Scuba podcast. We are back. Hashtag it's Friday. That means it's time for another Big Scuba podcast. Hello and thank you for downloading us. Uh, my name is Ian and also with me on the world on power of Zoom is <laughs> Gemma in Pakefield. Hello, everyone. My illustrious uh, co-host. <laughs> thank you. There we go. So. Welcome to episode 55, and um, my word, we're storming on, it's the new year, and here we are, look. Yeah, week into January already. Yep, and uh, let's just put it out there, let's get that behind us, we are in down number three, so here we go. Um, so, not much diving going on in the UK, it's all gone a bit on the quiet on side because of that. So, and the weather's pretty poop as well. So not much diving going on in the UK, but hey, you know, let's know there is a whole wide world out there, Jem. There is, there's lots more to do. So Jem, tell us what we've been up to this week on the first week of the lockdown, what we've been up to. Well, we have been on the beach. Yeah, yeah. And we've been picking up uh, rubbish, basically. Been pecking. Hmm? Picking. Oh, right. So I thought you said pecking. <laughs> Going around the beach pecking at it. <laughs> no, we've been picking up rubbish and it's been predominantly plastic. I know. And it's been an unbelievably amount of plastic waste that just washes in. Do you know what? You know, I know we hadn't done that the, the other day and it, it's unbelievable just Nothing. how much it washes back again. You think, really? You know, sort of cleared all this up and then bang, you know, a few days later, there it's all back again, another load. Um, sh shocking, really. And, um, you know, you just think, wow, you know, how much is actually out there? Yeah. Really? yeah. Little bits, you know, what we were talking about the other day. So those little, little tiny, the nodules, as you... Nodules. And them. Yeah, but it was just the tiny fragments as well. It's just, that's plastic that's been in the sea a long, long time and just keeps breaking down, breaking down. And the fishing net, the lines, rope. Yeah, yeah picked a load of that up again this time. So, yeah, yeah that's been quite good. Um, good to get all that up and um, off the beach and um, as part of our exercise. That we're yes. Talking of exercise, um, we've been doing... Um, the CrossFit as well. Um, we have, yeah. Keeping uh, our so dive, fit, dive fitness up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so hello to our friends over at Great Yarmouth CrossFit. Yeah, and they can be found on YouTube. They're all out there for anyone around the world to do. And the yeah, link I, I love burpees, Jem. That's what we've been up to. Also, Jem, I've been out on the Whirlwind C4 bike. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, have, have you heard of the Whirlwind C4 bike because if you haven't look it up go to their website look them up whirlwind-e-co.uk look up the website um, now the Whirlwind bike is a e-bike so you get a battery you get a motor 
and as you start pedaling, there's three speeds to it. And as you start pedaling, like that, all of a sudden you get this like motor that kicks in. You're like, whoa, off you go. <laughs> you get a boost. Like, uh, you, you get a boost. And, uh, you know, and I was going up quite, you know, there is hills. I know people say that Suffolk is kind of flat. East Anglia uh, is flat, but there is hills. We have hills in Bungie. And I can assure you, you know, going up the hills, it does help. When you've got a dodgy knee like me, you know, I'm only in my 20s and it does <laughs> does help. So um, if you are looking for a bike, and um, particularly a e-bike, then they're, they're all sort of new on the market. It's all, all these things. They're like the Tesla of the push bike. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to describe it. Is. Yeah, it really does help. So, uh, and Jem, if you are looking to buy one, we can do our listener a code of yep. where they save some money. And they get a 10% discount. I think they do. So, uh, and that code that you need is Big Scuba 2021. There we go. So, uh, yeah. Um, so put that in just before you go to check out. So go go have a look. There's uh, things on the internet. There's things on our social media this week. And I we did a video uh, a while back, you know, just before yeah. Christmas, of me going out on the bike. And I took some footage as well with me going to the post office the other day. And to do, I had to do some chores, Jim. Chores. chores. Chores on your bike. I had to do some chores and um, I had to go out and I thought, well, I'll go out on the bike. We'll take it out for a spin. So done that and that was really good. So look out for that. Um, and it's really important, you know, as divers that we do keep on top of our, our diet and our fitness. We don't let it all go to, to, go to pot. So, um, you know, our good friend, Andy Torbett, you often see Andy do would working out in his, in his garage and uh, keep them fit and like you know yeah. it's a good good is a good example of uh, why fitness is really important yes for your mental health as well it is you know uh, and during the lockdown it's really important it's really important even more so really so uh, so that's really good and there's something you can do with your kids and i uh, tried i did show uh, scuba honey the other day a bit of um, online fitness but <laughs> I think we need to motivate a bit more with that one. So we've got um, some messages, Jen. Some we people have. sent some more messages this week. Have rang the big scuba bat phone and has made it glow red, which is really yeah. great, you know. And um, that's really great. And thank you very much for everyone who has sent some messages. And we've got uh, a message from Trevor Nielsen. I thought he was a DJ. <laughs> no, he's, it's not the DJ. And he's in Florida. He's been diving down. He's been diving down in Florida and won the case for a whole day. Trevor Hello. Nelson, how about that? Yeah. Wait oh, to hear his diving. It is. And I'll tell you, I love his music. It's brilliant. <laughs> anyway, uh, and we've also had two messages from our illustrious partners in the name of this week, Paralens and Blue O2. Yeah, that's so, really good. So listen out for the Blue O2 particularly because that's got a really lovely message regarding one of their um, customers, Liverpool customers, which is really nice, really sweet. So, uh, but brilliant, brilliant messages from all three. Let me say, if you want to take part and leave us a message and ring the bat phone and make it glow red like only Batman has and us, give us a call, send us a WhatsApp message 
and uh, let us know what you're up to because it's a whole world out there, Jim. People mm. ask you diving on different parts of the globe. Let us know what you're doing and maybe you're paddleboarding, kayaking, free diving, whatever. Give, give the people who you're with a shout out and just let us know what you're doing and we will play it on the show. Yeah. You know, it's free. It's a free way. Yes. So the number our listener needs is plus 44. 07 Awesome. And that's the number. So, uh, yeah, let's have that. Right. Enough of that. Let's get into the messages. Okay, here we go. Hello, caller. Please leave your message after the tone. Remember to leave your name and where you are calling from so that we may play it on the wireless. Thank you for calling. Please leave your message after the tone. Big Scuba Podcast. This is Tom Nelson reporting from Scuba Board headquarters down in the heart of cave country in North Florida. Hope you guys are well and your new year is starting off properly. Mine started off with over 24 hours underwater in the last few days on my rebreather down here doing some cave exploration. Hope you guys are able to get in the water soon after your lockdown is over and I look forward to listening to the next episode. Hi everyone, Claudia here from Parallens. We wish you all a fantastic start into 2021 and keep our fingers crossed that this year will hold a lot more diving and underwater recording. Don't forget the decade of the ocean has just started and you can actually help to make an impact by diving with a Parallens underwater camera doing what I just mentioned, dive and record. If you're curious about how, you can find out more at Parallens.com. Hello, I'm Natalie and I work here at Blue O2. Firstly, I wanted to begin by wishing you all a very happy new year. Despite the current travel climate not quite how we predicted, we are still offering customers the opportunity to dive in destinations around the world and still creating inspirational experiences for all. The Galapagos is still open and for those of you who can travel, we currently have an incredible 30% off trips until the 1st of March. We had some very exciting news on our recent Galapagos master trip where one of our guests decided to propose to her partner under the famous Darwin's Arch. Luckily for her, he was very quick to say yes. Making the most of the idyllic setting on board, they decided to get married the very next day. Our crew were super excited to be involved and sprung to action, preparing everything you need to make the most perfect wedding. Our Master Liverboard's talented dive guide, JC, even made souvenir matching rings for them. And they were married by our boat's captain at the Ecuadorian line at latitude 0000. The ceremony was really romantic, being held on the top deck, which had stunning 360 degree views. It was a really lovely welcomed addition to any trip that we have. We currently have our January sale. It's obviously been a bit of a complicated 2020 for everyone, so we thought we'd keep things as simple as possible. We have just three important details, which we're calling 10, 20, 30. Pay just 10% deposit, enjoy a 20% discount and pay your balance just 30 days before departure. This applies to many departures until the end of June 2021. Obviously, don't forget that we also have the 30% off Galapagos sailings. We are also offering some fantastic rates on full charters. If you are part of a dive club or have a group of diving friends, you can go away together and charter a boat. We do understand, obviously, the difficulties currently affecting travel requirements. 
So we want to make it as easy as we possibly could for you to book with us. We've said that they can start from seven night duration on any day that best suits you. We've also got a lovely 21 itineraries for 2021. We asked our staff where, if they could recommend anywhere, where which itineraries they would recommend. And we wanted to share those thoughts with you. So currently we've done them for the Bahamas, Egypt and the Maldives. They're in their own words, unscripted and by the best people who know these itineraries and who sort of live and deal with them day to day. We do hope that we can welcome you on board one of our vessels very soon and we wish you all the best for 2021. End of messages. If you want to feature on the Big Scooper podcast, please tell us about what you are doing under the water or on the water. Send us a quick voice recording via WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven eight one zero 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 five nine two four. Thank you. Thank you for those messages. Uh, brilliant messages and uh, really great to hear about the pe- the couple who got, so they got engaged on day one. Married the next day. Yeah. Good job they didn't, then didn't get divorced by the, the end of the yeah. <laughs> Gone through the whole, the whole life cycle all the way through by, on the t- whole term <laughs> of the liverboard. Hey, Jem, there is a, there is a one, there's an unspoken rule about liverboards. Have you heard about that? Uh, it's something like what stays on, what goes on, stays on board. On the liverboard, stays on the liverboard. Well, if anybody wants to tell us about their liverboard stories, they can. Uh, yes, the- yes, <laughs> I like it. I like it. If you, hey, maybe if you found love on the liverboard and you are <laughs> still together. So, coming up on this episode fifty-five, we have a great guest, Kirk Croc, and uh, I. He's somebody who um, didn't really know much of beforehand, but I heard his name mentioned on an interview with Kate Winslet, mm-hmm. and I thought he sounded like the type of guy that we need to get on the big scuba and find out more about and yeah. find out what he's been up to. Because, uh, and he's been an absolute brilliant guest. Yeah, so really, really interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So let, let me just tell you a snippet about Kirk. So, Kirk is one of the most prolific and innovative trailblazers in sport diving yet ironically most divers have never heard of him at Mm. least not in scuba world but over two decades kirk has developed education and certification programs with one goal to improve safety in free dive yeah yeah and it's it's really interesting the way that he approaches yeah the conversation with us certainly is you know because it's not a skill that people take to particularly easily some do easier than others Mm. And, um, you know, if you're some people take to the water quite naturally and some don't, you know, and holding your breath while performing um, as a as a diver, as a free diver or, uh, you know, even as a actor under the water mm. um, is it, not easy at all. And we learned this a bit with our good friend Mike Valentine as well. Yeah. 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 So, which. You know, it's an episode that we did a few, few couple of months back. Look, look that one up with Mike Valentine. But anyway, um, so anyway, this is Kurt Croc. 
and let's dial in and have a chat with Kirk. Yeah, here we go. So Kirk Kroc, uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Big Scuba podcast. And uh, with us is Gemma and myself, and we'd like to just talk to you about your uh, free diving, your uh, history into diving, uh, how you help the today's A-listers get to zero to several minutes in the water and holding their breath you know that's amazing uh, you've recently been credited with help and kate winslet um we on the avatar 2 film and helping her with her breath holding and being able to do that film work and i believe holding her breath from uh, just a few seconds right through to over seven minutes which is an absolutely amazing thing for anyone to do you know, and uh, we'd like to talk about that as well. So um, maybe we can start off with telling you if you can explain a little bit about who you are and sure. uh, what you do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name's Kirk Kroc. So I'm the president and founder of Performance Freediving International. Um, grew up a water baby, you know, lifeguard, swim instructor. Um, started scuba diving when I was uh, about 14, I think I got certified. It was a birthday present or a Christmas present from my parents. And, um, you know, just kind of became a recreational dive instructor. Uh, water was a big thing in our lives. We had a sailboat, we snorkeled, we skin dived. Um, you know, we were actually free diving, but we didn't know it was called free diving at that time. In fact, you know, I think uh, once you're taking very specific breaths and you're using the surface as a means to prepare to go under the water where that's where really the risks start to come into, especially if you're getting into that five meter and equalizing multiple times. So was a free diver very early on, not realizing it, not really aware of the risk, but yeah, I became a, I became a dive instructor in 88. And uh, when I was 20, I bought my first dive shop when I was 20. Um, I worked for a guy for a year and then I bought him out and he went to Thailand. And um, so, and I've always worked for myself from that time. So I, uh, I started this inland diving center uh, on, on our trips. Um, you know, if we went to the Caribbean with a group every third day, I'd, I'd skip scuba diving and I'd, I'd just go snorkeling, you know, but snorkeling the 20 meters and playing with all my customers and their bubbles and things like that. Um, so I sold that. I moved back to the Cayman Islands for a second time. Um, in that time, I had actually got into technical diving. So this would have been in the early 90s. I became a nitrox instructor and then a technical nitrox instructor and then a trimix and instructor trainer and all of that stuff. So by by mid-90s, I was uh, in the mixed gas, trimix, instructor trainer, all that sort of thing. I had started a dive shop in the, in the Cayman Islands called Dive Tech. And that's really what we focused on and specialized in. But during that time, again, this passion of just shedding, you know, four to six tanks off of me because it was all open circuit in that time. There was no rebreathers doing the depths we were doing. You know, I was doing like 175 meter dives in the mid to late 90s, uh, all staged bottles or carrying it with us or having some of my uh, my staff meet us at moderate depths, like 90 meters to switch off some moderate depth. Yeah, yeah, moderate depth. Yeah, exactly. To switch off some of our, our decompression tanks. Um, but, you know, again, on my days off, I'd grab a scooter and just mask fins and snorkel and go blast around on the reef. And so I met this, uh, we had this Italian gentleman who was on vacation on his honeymoon. 
and he wanted to get his 30 meter apnea. It was really the first time I heard kind of free diving associated with apnea thinking, well, sleep apnea, that's what we know it about. Right. And he belonged to this club. And so we needed to document so he could prove that he did a 30 meter breath hold dive. And so I wrote up one page of these protocols because I couldn't find anything at the time. And we helped him, you know, do this 30 meter thing. You know, we had divers staged every five meters. I mean, it was just crazy, you know, considering what we know now. Right. And this would have been in like 97. I, um, and then, uh, and, and then Pepin Ferreris came down because we had all the equipment, we had the training, you know, we were doing 400 foot to 500 foot plus mixed gas dives at that point, scuba dives, so we could support a thing. So he came down and with his wife, Audrey, and they, he did a two breath record. She did a French national record, I think at the time. And so we supported that. And that was really my first kind of introduction into, I guess, the more formalized world of free diving, what it was back then, which was really just like Umberto Pelizzari and Pepin Ferreris, right? And then some other people. And um, he came back and we, we started to do some courses. He had a, a banner and a name for an association, but nothing else, no standards, nothing written down. So during a course he was teaching, I was taking notes on the computer and he was like, well, what are you going to do with all that? And I'm like, well, I'm just, you know, taking notes. And then the idea was, well, maybe you could write some manuals. So I wrote these you know, the first really formalized standards and procedures for a whole educational system, right? From snorkeler through advanced levels and specialties and this sort of thing. And then I wrote five different books and we produced some videos and we really formalized and became the IFD, the International Association of Freedivers, which we had in the Cayman Islands. And we formed this kind of partnership. And, um, you know, eventually it, it really didn't last. If you do business with them, it didn't. And, um, and by that time, I had then over the course of several years had trained uh, Tanya Streeter to a national record and then Brett LeMaster to a national record for the US and then Tanya to a world record and then Brett to a world record. And so December of 99, I left Caymans, you know, realizing there was this opportunity in freediving because there was really nothing formalized. It was, you want to learn freediving? Hey, come with me you know, watch me free dive and uh, let's not talk about blackout or anything like that. You know, don't ever admit you had a blackout. That's like admitting you had a venereal disease. Right. So, and I thought, how stupid is that? That, that should be the first thing we talk about is safety. Let's get that out of the way and get a system in place to be safe. And then we can work on technique. And then once we got technique figured out, once safety and technique are figured out, then performance will just naturally evolve from there. And so I left Cayman, kind of left that old system that I developed and completely rewrote a new system. So in January of 2000, I had formed Performance Freediving International with a complete new set of philosophy and standards and procedures, an educational system. Um, and, you know, here we are 20 years later. So a couple of years ago, uh, oh, just a little over a year, a year and a half ago, I, um, I joined uh, performance free diving with international training. So it's now part of TDI, SDI, ERDI, uh, first response. And, uh, and now they have PFI. So they're a complete diving educational system. They're really well known, obviously, in the, in the technical diving market yeah. and uh, have really strong recreational scuba system and all of that sort of thing. And now they have a really kind of complete, uh, very comprehensive and professional uh, free diving program. 
So there's a lot from you know yeah. January 2000 to now. And so, you know, the long and the short of it is really PFI was the first real educational system. We were the first to get insurance, professional liability insurance. In that time, I trained seven people to 23 world records, you know, dozens of people to hundreds of national records. Um, a lot of the things we see in freediving today, like counterbalance and actual recovery breathing, or more specific, hook breathing associated with recovery breathing. A lot of the initial uh, foundational rules within IDA, uh, like surface protocols, are things that I had developed at, uh, in the early 2000s. When you say about hook breathing, because some people yeah. will be listening to this who won't know what you mean by that. Yeah. Can you simply just um, simply explain what that means? Yeah, so in freediving, the, the most important breaths you're ever going to take in freediving aren't the ones you take beforehand. They're the first six breaths you take when you get back to the surface, because that's the point at which you're at critical hypoxia, critical varying degree of lack of oxygen. And there's six different ways we can black out, three really associated to kind of oxygen and, and that sort of thing. And it can be because of hypoxia, varying degree of lack of oxygen. It can be because of a disruption of blood flow to the brain. Um, and, uh, and one can, because can happen because of an ascent to the surface where the lungs are re-expanding and you have a reversal of the transfer of oxygen where oxygen should be going from lungs into blood. Now partial pressures are inverted and now the lungs are sucking the oxygen that's in the venous blood coming back to be oxygenated. And it's actually pulling it out of the lungs because there's a lower partial pressure in the lung. So, so I developed and Brett Lemaster and I developed this system of breathing called recovery breaths. Initially, it was during his uh, world record training. So we had done a 60 meter, 200 foot national record for him for the US. And then kind of a year later, we're training for this world record and we're getting to this depth and he's getting to the surface and his lips are pink. So that's showing me he's got good blood flow to the brain, cerebral blood flow, right? You can see the oxygenated blood. And then within 10 seconds, his lips are going blue. And then he's having a loss of motor control, having motor control skills, sometimes blacking out. We're like, I'm telling him, I don't know what's going on, Brett. You're coming back with oxygenated blood. I see it. And then I see it leaving. And so we're like, well, who else experiences this? And we're like, well, fighter pilots, right? You know, they pull negative Gs, blood gets pulled away. And what do they do? Well, they do hook breathing. So they do, do, do this top of the breath. Uh, hold for three seconds and then they bear down like they're sitting on the toilet and so we tried it and it was like magic and it worked and so to really then bring that not just into a world record setting but to bring it into a standardized system of education where every one of the instructors around the world and every student is going to know the same language and the same protocols we really formalized it and so a hook breath is is a hold on a full breath where you don't bear down so much as you just relax the chest wall and let the natural chest elasticity kind of create the, an increased pressure. And you hold for three slow seconds and then you immediately exchange that breath, but never exhaling more than half your volume. Because the problem is, is as we, as I exhale too deep, which would be the natural response, right? After you've had a big, strong urge to breathe, you want to get it all out. 
And so what happens is you collapse the alveoli, which has the potential to open up the blood vessels surrounding the alveoli to overdilate. Because you have high CO2, your lungs have a propensity to want to dilate, to get oxygen into blood, get the most amount of blood oxygen um, and the CO2 out. And but what do you have a medical background then? Because that's quite a, an in-depth, um, what's the word, uh, evaluation to make, isn't it? Unless, right. If you don't have a medical background and you know, you're talking about things that we should, you know, for a lot of us, way over our heads. And Sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, so for, unless you've got a medical background, how do you get to understand all that when and know what's going on? Because how did you suddenly go, well, how... How do we know that the uh, the jet pilots are having yeah. this as well? It's quite it's quite a, quite a big comparison. Right, right. Um, well, I don't have a medical background. I don't have a formalized medical training. I'm a wilderness EMT and combat medical technician, uh, and you know things like that. But no, um, for me, it was simply I looked at what I knew from diving physics and physiology. Yeah. And then I had to then relook at all of that stuff from a different focus. So in technical diving and scuba diving, it's really about partial pressures when we come yeah. down to it. I mean, you're, you're told always breathe, never, never hold your breath. So there's a little bit of lung expansion in there, but really what we're dealing with is bubble dynamics and all of those decompression aspects. Whereas free diving, it's about volumes. It's about compressing volumes. And I have different air spaces. I have this airspace up here, which is going to remain the same size. And then I've got this flexible airspace here, which has semi-rigid air spaces. And then I've got my gastrointestinal, which you know, so I've got all these different airspaces and they, this has to be locked off from that one, especially when I'm upside down trying to equalize. So anyways, you had to, you have to know all this stuff. And, and what I had the advantage of is because I went through all this training and did this, these world records. I mean, we really dove into whatever medical um, papers we could get, um, you know, just get, just talk with a lot of doctors who were, who were, in the know who had done some of the original studies or uh, Peter Lindholm, who was studying under Dr. Massimo um, at the time out in Boston and just kind of liaising with them. And, and what happened early on in, at the end of 2000, I was asked to be a part of and set up an advanced freediving research study at Simon Fraser University. So what I would do is I would take participants who'd be, who could be swimmers, snorkelers and scuba divers, but they couldn't be a freediver. And um, I would take them through a 12 week program. Like I'm going to try and get them on the national team. And the first six weeks is, is once a week in the classroom and pool, hour and a half classroom, two hour pool session. And then I give them homework. The next six weeks, there's that plus an ocean session once a week. But before they come in, we take them to the kinesiology lab and we measure you know, lung volumes and cerebral blood flow. And we put them through tilt tests to see how fast their sympathetic parasympathetic system does. And, and so I would be a part of that measuring and, and then we measure them post. And uh, I've just always kind of been fascinated by it. And there were things that we would come across in free diving that needed an answer. It need, there, there was a problem we need to solve. And so it's physiology and it's physics. So what do I know about it? which will then lead me to who do I need to go ask? Yeah. What do I need to research more of? And then, uh, in, and then honestly, just a lot of anecdotal, this just seems to work. I mean, we tried hook breathing 
and it worked. And Brett went on to, you know, add 20 some more meters onto his, onto his depth. And it just was a noticeable game changer. Yeah. Do you find your um, students or the people that you're training get into all the detail of like you've just spoken about so they completely understand their bodies? Yeah. Yeah. Because one of the things we like to do in the program, it would be easy just to say, do this. And not give any, you know, just trust me, just do it and it'll work, right? And maybe there's some people that do that, but we've really taken our educational system past just education when we've kind of brought it into a lot of entertainment as well. So there's a lot of backstory and there's a lot of entertainment as you're being taught. Um, and so the, the functionality of our educational system is this, is to, to give you the reasons why you're experiencing what you're experience, experiencing. Here's the, here's the solution for it. And here's why we're going to do the solution. And then it makes more sense. It, it, it really erases all the big question marks. Because if I'm out there to have fun, or if I'm really there to have an increase in my performance, my performance is only going to increase if I'm feeling comfortable. And with knowledge comes comfort because you're, you understand, oh, I'm feeling that because, oh, this is happening. My lung volume has compressed beyond my total or my residual volume and my diaphragm's being stretched and that's firing off stretch receptors and it's giving me an urge to breathe, but it's not real urge to breathe because it has nothing to do with oxygen and carbon dioxide. And, you know, so it answers all of those questions while you're on it. And that makes you more comfortable. And when you're more comfortable, you're more relaxed because again, free diving is about volumes compressing, right? And if you're tensed and your chest wall is super tight, you're not going to be relaxed and compressible. So that's why we do take it into, into a higher level of education so that you can really know what's going on. And then what's been a real game changer uh, with PFI um, joining with international training is now we have a pre-learning program. So we have an online learning system where, you know, you go through the videos and the pictures and you answer the quizzes and now you get to come to class and we don't have to teach you what an atmosphere of pressure is or why your lung volume is compressing at these different rates. You've got that basic information. Now we can really dive into the stories that help form a complete image as it's going to relate to you and your diving uh, and not spend time in class teaching you what an atmosphere is, right? So yeah, we've really made a game changer in our overall system of education um, and we're very proud of it. So do you see it still progressing so that you can get better at breath holds or getting more depth? Yeah, so our system of education starts right with snorkeler, goes to a free diver level, training someone in the 20 meter zone. And then we have an intermediate level. Actually, I'm, I'm showing these up, but really they're getting deeper, aren't they? Right. <laughs> so then there's the intermediate level, which is like to a maximum of 40 meters. Um, you don't have to do 40 meters, but that's the max we go to. There's, you know, that's a 25 meter program to to know the knowledge and prove the ability to get the card. And then we have an advanced level program, which is 60 meters. And then something that I've been pioneering and developing is something called technical free diving that we've been using a lot. And now that's the introduction of oxygenated mixtures, which for some free divers is controversial. Uh, and some it's just like, you know, for, to them, free diving should be butt naked no equipment at all, no swimsuit, no nothing, you know, that to them, that's the purest form of free diving. And I'm, and I'm like, listen, whatever, whatever the tool, whatever right tool for the job is. Now I'm a purist as far as 
you know, just going out and loving the reef and enjoying it. But there's times when I'm filming, doing documentary work or movies, or, you know, we did a technical scooter freediving trip to Truck Lagoon, where we were on wrecks at 65 meters doing six minutes, 15 second breath hold times, not all at depth, but the total runtime. Yeah. And being able to shorten our surface intervals by upwards of 40, uh, 40% to get more of these dives in using scooters and using two mixes on the surface as decompression or preload mixes to then go and do. So, you know, there's a lot of things that free diving can be more than just go look at pretty fish on a reef or harvest something or competitively go up and down a line. Yeah. Can we take that a minute? So, so when you're on the surface with this mix, yeah. you're basically inhaling that in and getting and saturating your system with it before um, you go. Yeah. So this, the basics of technical free diving is this: is using an oxygenated mixture for a number of advantages. So, uh, reduce decompression stress, right? Because we can get bent free diving, and I have been bent free diving neurologically. Uh, and done chamber treatments for neurological hits. So we do have one lung full of, of air and 79% of it's oxygen and our ascent and descent rates are fast. So we're working on fast tissue. So those are the tissues being affected, which tend to be more neurological. Um, and so less decompression stress, um, faster recovery times. Yeah. Um, we can reduce, theoretically, we can reduce surface intervals and that's still something we're kind of beta testing and it isn't a big proponent or yeah, that we're, you know, we're not saying use technical freediving to reduce your surface interval, plan your surface intervals as if you're on air, but use nitrox as to be that advantage, right? Um, when uh, we were the first people to employ technical freediving for our safety freedivers. So I run a competition called Deja Blue every, well, almost every May, except in these new times we're in now, right? Um, and, and I would have my safety freedivers uh, using a standard nitrox mix of 32%. So they're running their dives and figuring out when they're going to leave the surface to meet the diver and all of that sort of stuff and what depth they should meet at. Um, but they're planning it as if they were just on air, but really they've got 32% in their lungs, in their back pocket. So they'll tell you that at the end of a week of hundreds and hundreds of free dives that they don't feel near as wiped out because yeah. they've, you know, look at professional sport athletes come off the field and you see it in football, American football all the time. They put an O2 math. Yeah. Um, and so that's all those advantages. So what we would do in its, in its, in its like most technical element, like we did in truck lagoon is I would have an 80% mix. And then if we're on a wreck, let's say in 40 meters, I might have a 32% mix. So I come up, from my dive, and there was three of us, myself, Chris Bustad, and John Halverson, instructors of ours. Uh, Chris is now the subject matter expert at PFI with, uh, with ITI. And um, we would, I'd come up, I'd immediately go on an 80% mix while Chris would be my dedicated safety. So he's got to watch me for no less than 30 seconds, right? After 30 seconds, if my lips have turned pink again and I've got oxygen flow and I'm showing cognitive ability and I'm showing motor control and I'm not shaky. Um, then after 30 seconds, I'm good. But as soon as I hit the surface, John starts his dive. 
And yeah. we just get into this rotation. So then at some point I've been on my 80% mix. I'm calculating for my depth and time I just did, what my surface interval for, should be. Then I'm taking a calculation because I'm using 80% Now I'm gonna knock off some of my surface time. So once I get to that time, then I go for my 80% and I go to my 32% mix, but I confirm and we do a switch. So it's confirmed with my buddy that I've done a gas switch because the last thing I want to do is forget that I'm still on 80 and head down to 40 meters, right? Which would be a bad thing. So for maybe the audience members who aren't nitrox certified, oxygen under partial pressures that are high enough can be toxic to your central system causing convulsions at the worst case. So I confirm that I've made this switch to a low mix. And then when my time comes up and the other guys are back on the surface and I can go, I start my dive again. And we just do this waltz between mixes and safety and going from diver to safety to on deck, breathing up to go again. And then you've got, you know, dive extra piranha scooter and there's no work to get down. <laughs> right? There's no work to get back up. You got to be careful on your ascent rates on the way to the surface. So we gear down in the last portions to go nice and slow because ascent rates, especially with a scooter, can be too. Those last few meters are important, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that would be kind of technical freediving at its, you know, in some ways at its most technical or most fun and adventurous. But it has a high degree of risk. And so there's an educational system to it and there's protocols and procedures and there's knowledge you need to know to really go up and have fun and do it safely and, and use it for the right tool for the job. So on Avatar, we've been using uh, technical freediving protocols. Before I started going to New Zealand, we logged over 250,000 breath hold dives wow. using oh. technical freediving incident free. Yeah, that's brilliant. And that's a good record. Very clean record. Yeah. You know, so how do you approach, you know, I know you just mentioned Avatar and we'll get to Avatar, sure. but how do you approach, um, so when you got, when you get called in to help and advise on certain films and uh, shows, you know, you've helped David Blaine, you've helped Tom Cruise. How do you, when these people are complete, maybe novices, how do you then approach them? And because you haven't got the time to go through the courses, yeah. how, how do you approach that? Do you approach them any differently? Well, I do actually have the time to go through the courses. So you I do. take them through, I do, I do take them through a course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Tom and I were two and a half months wow. training and learning. Um, you know, not every day, <laughs> you know, sometimes once a week for half an hour, if I was lucky. Um, but that's why they bring me in for that amount of time, because here's the thing about free diving, right? As opposed to scuba diving, let's say, um, let's say you were the same person and I could just put a USB in you and download all the theoretical knowledge and you would right. know it like that. Right. And we could go into the pool. I could show you as a scuba diver, here's how you get your reg. You practice it once. You'll always have it. You, you don't need to do it again. There's no reason why in one day you couldn't be doing hundred meter trimix. Mm. Right. Okay. I mean, if your you, ability to retain and repeat knowledge was yeah. at, at a flow state. Now yeah. let's took, look, let's look at the free diver. Same thing. Plug all the academic knowledge in show a perfect entry. Here's how you equalize. Fantastic. But the physiology still isn't adapted. So the physiology in free diving is a repetitive volume thing that I need to train 
the heart rate to slow down, the bradycardic system. I need to train the extremities to constrict blood vessels and the core, the thoracic area to dilate blood vessels. I need to train the spleen to shrink by 20% to push more red blood cells in. And that's only going to happen through volume of dives. It's not technique. Technique does help a bit when you're trying to equalize. You know, there's certain things we know technique-wise that we didn't know 10, 15 years ago that have been game changers. But really, it's now about the adaptation, that process of the body. So what we're really good at with our educational system is knowing the, the modifications and manipulations of the physiology to induce certain adaptive responses uh, and changes in your physiology, other than you just being a a healthy individual. Do you find they need to be kind of peak fit fitness um, to kind of take this all on board? Um, it, well, no. So if we're talking about a regular course and just regular mm. customers, we have them all shapes and sizes, and, you know, genders and races and abilities and non-abilities. Um, we actually even have, we're the first to develop an adaptive freediving program for people with learning, cognitive, physical yeah. disabilities. Um, so everyone should be able to enjoy the underwater world in some form and fashion, right? Which was really the reason why we developed an adaptive. But um, do you have to be the perfect <laughs> physical specimen? I mean, you could be Michael Phelps, right? I mean, just lungs with a heart hanging off and shoulders. Yeah. Um, but if you're afraid of the ocean, and you yeah. never want to get into the ocean because you're a pool person. It doesn't matter how your peak physical shape is. If your psychology isn't there, it doesn't matter. So really what we want is a person who's, in, who's healthy. First off, you have to be healthy because it is a marine environment. It's a diving environment. There's cardiovascular stressors and things. You know, just uh, imagine as soon as you're in the water, your, lung, you know, your, your blood pressure and your blood distribution changes and all of these things that we know through immersion diuresis, the P reflex. Um, so you have to be just a, a healthy person. Then from there, we can all change and adapt because genetically we are born of the ocean. I mean, for millions of years, we've been evolving out of the ocean. So yeah. you've ever heard of the idea that antogeny recapitulates phylogeny. So that means from conception to when you're born. Think about that every day, you know. You, you mimic you mimic evolution, right? There's a point where in that, in that, evolu in that development, in, in uh, you know, fetal, that you have gills. Yeah. And some people still have them and they're called nubules under the skin, right? So, so we're born of the oceans and our body has this ability to adapt to an extreme environment. And that extreme environment for us is the hypoxia or the hypercapnia, right? The change of those two gases. And it's the compression on the air and how that changes cardio, pulmonary, you know, all these different things. And so our body's really good at adapting, amazingly good at adapting that, you know, we're self-powering down to 130 meters now. And just like 15 years ago, you had to ride a sled yeah. down and back. And now we self-power to it. You know, we have breath holds of, uh, I think officially it's still 1135, although national records are sometimes over 12 minutes breath hold and hardly any brain damage at all from them. Hardly any. But <laughs> um, um, yeah. <laughs> there was a famous study. I don't know. I think it was in this country where they um, tested brand new, new babies just born. And yeah in water and they found that they were absolutely at home in the water 
Just yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Breathe the lot, you know. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, water, water births are an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, the baby can be born, still have the umbilical and be underwater working off the umbilical, like a commercial diver, <laughs> right? <laughs> just, just, just come out of the uh, saturation habitat and <laughs> kind of hanging around. And then, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very natural form. I mean, we are, a, you know, we are originally a water animal. That's how we would have been born at some point. Yeah. And you, when you think about that and we treat the ocean so badly, Oh, we're horrible with it. Yeah, oh, it's like the lifeblood of the planet. We're just like throwing all this crap into it. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there's a number of things. And uh, so, you know, part of, if you read part of my history, we were part of the Cove. We helped uncover the slaughter of dolphins in Japan. And I was part of racing. And, and those led me to have a, a really larger appreciation for the environmental impacts and things that were mm -hmm. going and you know besides global climate change you know maybe the bigger thing is the biodiversity tragedy that we are undergoing that we're losing species faster than some of the mass extinctions that happened you know millions of years ago um and uh you know these are all climate change and, and biodiversity are game changers and the ocean it's 73 percent of our planet and we know more sometimes about the other planets than we do about the bottom of our ocean and that really but don't you think it's good didn't you like that because I, I, I like that I, I like that the fact that there's still mysteries on our yeah, absolutely right my, my, it's funny because my dad always says, you know, when he was a kid growing up reading books, there was deepest, darkest jungles of Africa that we still hadn't really explored. You, you know, the local indigenous population explored them, but, you know, it wasn't the rest of the world that was still a mystery. And now we know everything about land. We've been everywhere, uh, which is the problem, isn't it? Because we're going into areas that were not ever reached by people before. And now we're, you know, bringing those diseases out with us, Ebola, COVID, more than likely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, and now the oceans, I mean, it, it's, yeah. You know, when you think that 70% of the world's protein comes from the ocean and that we're, you know, we say we harvest the ocean, but that usually implies you put back in, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not, we're just raping and pillaging it. And yeah. uh, it's the tragedy of the commons because there's in, in international waters, there's, I got to get mine before everyone else gets theirs. Yeah. yeah. Pretty. Yeah. So, so let's talk Avatar 2. All okay. Right. You've been a, a, a player on that with helping this guest. And uh, I was watching uh, a small clip from Stephen Colbert and he had Kate Winslet on who credited yep. you for yep. helping her get from uh, just a few seconds right through to holding a breath. I think it's seven minutes, 14 or something like that. It was over seven yeah, minutes. I forget the exact. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I tend not to remember the specific numbers. <laughs> but I tell, I, I tell you, it's a brilliant thing for somebody to be able to do that. And, yeah. you know, it, it's not natural for any of us being underwater. And uh, we had a go eight months ago uh, on this podcast of doing a bit of filming underwater just in our local pool and how difficult that was. It was unreal. 
you know, yeah. and um, to I just can't imagine how difficult that was and how she got over that. So can you talk us through how you approached that and, you know, what was involved and a little bit about, can, are you able to tell us a little bit? Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of non-disclosure. There's like that thick of non-disclosure agreements yeah. that I've had to sign. So I can give you some generalities and some yeah. things that I've already, you know, that uh, James Cameron and John Landau have kind of put out, uh, that are public knowledge out there. So first yep. off, yeah, we've been shooting uh, two and three. And number two is a, a water-based movie. I mean, if you've seen, who has not seen Avatar first off? Uh, so we've been, in the first Avatar, we've seen the forest Navi and the plains Navi and the mountain Navi. Well, now you're going to see the ocean. And they're the Metakain, they're, they're called. And, um, and so the, the cool thing about is we're going to see James Cameron's vision of what Pandora looks like underwater. Now, I can't tell you anything other than it's mind blowing, okay. right? Um, and, you know, the thing about James Cameron, this there's a guy who is a water person at heart. He considers himself a free diver first and foremost at heart. And yet he's gone to the deepest parts of the ocean and he's done all these amazing uh, you know, uh, documentaries underwater and, and some of his stories when you get to hear them are just incredible. So just, uh, I'm so excited to be able to see too, because it is the most significant diving movie ever made hands down. Um, it just takes place in the future on another planet with these Metakayine uh, Navi, but we shot it wet for wet, which means everything you see underwater happened underwater and in breath hold. This isn't Aquaman. We're not hanging from ropes with fans in our hair trying to make it look like we're underwater. So when you see Sigourney Weaver, Kate Winslet, Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, you know, Stephen Lang, and, and then seven kids. I had seven kids that were from six to 16 years old that I had to train as well. Um, and it's really this story about a family that's, you know, in peril and at the ocean. And so, yeah, go ahead. What, was it just yourself training them or were you like the I, head of the trainers who were teaching them? Yeah, I was the head person. And it was, it was for the most part me. And then I had some other people within the stunt department who got brought onto stunts and were instructors of mine that I would then kind of key in when I had larger groups and they'd come and help. But it was my job to basically train cast and crew and breath hold. Uh, the camera people, the grips, everyone, because we're shooting what's called performance capture. So they're wearing wetsuits with reflective dots and the camera is ringed with okay. camera. And so um, you couldn't have a bubble in the water because the, the reflection off the, off the bubble would mess up the cameras, right? So you couldn't have the people behind the camera blowing bubbles on scuba or bubbling away because it would mess up the whole capture system. So in the water, we're looking at blocks, you know, and piping and things like that. But when you look on the flat screen, you see Pandora underwater. I'm looking at Sigourney Weaver, you know, in her dotted suit, but on there's her character uh, underwater. So yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. And so they did it. So, you know, the, the train, what Avatar did was they are living in the real physics of the world. So this is, Avatar is in our, is in our reality, right? It's just mm -hmm. in our future. And so all the real world physics and science apply here. So the thing that James Cameron uh, is, and this is what just is gonna blow us all away about this, is the real physics had to apply. That when you saw someone swimming, 
it wasn't some computer guy's idea of what a breaststroke would look like. You know, like if you look at animation and you watch a character walking, as best as they try, you still, like if you, you Not could tell, that, yeah, it's, there's subtleties that you just know. So everything we did was underwater, all that breaststroking and, you know, all the diving and all that sort of thing. So you're going to look at it, the quality and resolution and just the textures and everything they brought it to. And then the real swimming, you're just going to feel like every diver in the water, in the audience is going to wet them. They're just going to get it. Um, and then the audience who's the non-divers will look at it and still get it because it's in the real physics of the real world. Uh, yeah. that we did it. So, so yeah, I mean, we had this time where uh, Sigourney was doing this scene and a really active scene, like she's not just kneeling on the bottom and, you know, holding her breath. She is working hard for over two and a half minutes on this scene underwater. Wow. Um, and so what Avatar did, just to get back to my point <laughs> a little bit ago, was that they were really good in saying, okay, here's the cast. They need to be water people. So what do we need to do, Kirk? And, you know, it was what was supposed to be a two month gig for me is now going on over three and a half years. <laughs> and, and so just training them. And some of them were supposed to be like really like born and live in the water for the most part. You know, they are that's their that's their thing. And so I had to take them to like a very developed level. And then other people were just supposed to be their first times in water. So I had to give them skill but I couldn't have them too polished and looking good. But my job was to make sure that the breath hold aspect of it could be in the background. It's like driving a car. The first time you're driving a car, you're aware of where your hands are and your foot's on the accelerator and you're aware of everything. And now we can drive a car, we can text and drink a coffee at the same time, right? Uh, you don't even think about driving. So that was the whole idea with what I had to do on Avatar was the breath hold, and the protocols of how we prepare and breathe and, and, and that language and all the skills and all of that stuff, that just had to be background so that their first foremost job was being able to act and get into the scene and the character. Yeah. So that takes, uh, you know, that takes uh, knowledge. So I take them through the PFI programs, intermediate level programs, and then we would do stuff in a in our purpose built you know we really were lucky we got to go to hawaii at one point and have an in water animals and corals and the ocean and get a little bit more depth in and uh, so yeah they have spared no expense to make this the most immersive realistic living in this world uh interpretation of what jim looks at pandora and that that story arc will be for a water the water so movie. Ask of, of the um, actresses and act actors of the film, because, you know, you've got the pressure of acting, you've got the pressure of, you know, being committed to it, and you then got to learn these new underwater skills, which, yeah. you know, probably some people are probably um, took to really well. Some of them need to probably be more handheld in and, yeah. uh, or handholding, I should say. And, you know, it must in their minds that might, they I can just imagine just trying to put myself in their place how hard that must have been because they must be thinking blimey you know I'm, am I going to be able to do this and yeah. get through it that must be really I mean difficult. well largely um, out of the principal cast you know some of them like were okay well that was fun you know I've got what I need 
to get yeah. my job done, right? And then uh, others were like, Sigourney was just, we could not get enough training time in. You know, she loved it. You know, I was supposed to be getting out of the water at my lunch break, and but that's the only time Sigourney could train. So, you know, <laughs> over my lunch break, we would train in the tank. Uh, she just, and she was so great at it. And then Kate loved it as well. And um, so, but it's interesting. So some of the kids, Bailey, um, you know, in the beginning, she was like, oh, I, you know, she got cast and she was like, okay, you know, are we done yet? Has our session finished yet? And, um, and then there was this one time when we were training and she was under the water and we had gauges for them and she was doing her thing and she looked at her gauge and she, like, she didn't realize how long she was under there. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of came to the surface and, you know, everything's safe, safety protocols and recovery right. breathing and all that. And, and I said, okay, we got to start finishing up. And she was like, oh, do we have to get out yet? And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, there was the transformational change from like, oh, you know, this is okay. But uh, to like, then she just could not get enough of it uh, as well. It ignited that fire. What's that? Sorry. Good that it ignited that fire. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, no, it was, it was really good. And all the cast just really embraced it and had fun and did amazing with it. And, and some of them are just like really love the skills and the, and the learning progress uh, or progression for it. And, uh, and then, you know, it just helped them yeah. get into this, get into this character and, and you will see that on screen, you know, you will see a water person because they became a water person. Yeah. Uh, and so that now they're just, they're in their character as that water yeah. person. The film would be much better for it as well. They're, they're, they're actually doing not just all CGI, you, yeah. know, where you, you know, it never looked quite as good. And I think from, um, I can't remember who we were talking to, Gemma, but somebody else was talk, talking to us about Avatar and about James Cameron wanted to use this film to sort of really highlight uh, some of the issues of, you know, what's going on with our oceans and how we're treating it and pollution and bring all these things to bear, really. And yeah, there's, there's using Hollywood to sort of really bring it right up to the world's attention. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it's just going to be an amazing ride, an adventure yeah. and entertainment, and we're going to be blown away. But there are these subtle lessons that, you know, we get to learn that, that parallel what we're going through right now because yeah. again this is our it's our world it's just into the future so it's kind of a look at what our future could be like so do you think it will uh increase the interest in free diving and oh. diving? it could be like a game changer for the industry as well couldn't it you're you're 100 right it will absolutely be a game changer i mean mm -hmm you know, it will hopefully spark a whole new generation of divers, you yeah. know, ki kids who are just like, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and so just like, you know, I, at the DEMA trade show, um, when I started performance freediving 20 years ago, I'd been going to the DEMA show and saying, listen, freediving is the game changer for the diving industry. Because the diving industry, you know, hasn't changed that much in some ways. I mean, technical diving was the game changer, right? Um, but, I, you know, I've always said that free diving is to scuba what snowboarding was to skiing. It was the thing that revitalized the, the ski industry. And you're seeing that now when you look at the demographic of free divers and, and uh, the participation in it is massive. 
massive. And there will be the, there will be the after knock on effects of free divers. Like, uh, you know, I'm getting older. I really love free diving, but let's give this scuba thing a try. Mm. Cause I really love, I really love being in the water. And, uh, and so, yeah, the overall effect in the diving industry is game changing from free diving and then avatar for diving in general, I think will uh, game changer. Yeah. Yeah. So for the people who um, are coming about this new and fresh and uh, never free dived before, where would you, what advice would you give them? If anyone is now thinking about, and they could be anywhere in the world, let's face it, uh, you know, if they've not done it before, they, they're interested in free diving. What advice yeah. would you? Well, that it's an amazing sport. There's a longevity. There's a lifetime in it. It's got yoga. It's got mindfulness. It's got health benefits. It's lifestyle. Um, it's relatively simple to get into, you know, as far as equipment goes. But there are risks with it. And you need to know what those risks are. And to really have fun in it, you, you need to learn properly. And so find a find a instructor uh, from a reputable agency and uh, and take a course and it will be so worth the investment just to 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 really understand the full potential that you have within it and and how to enjoy it and then you get to find that local community uh, it yeah. doesn't matter where you are no, no tanks um, in uh, the UK and you know all of those instructors there. Um, Emma Farrell and a bunch like that. Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's, you know, there's just a really good community throughout the world of, of great instructors out there and, uh, they can really kind of help you experience what, uh, what this amazing thing is. Oh, that's brilliant. So you've mentioned, uh, already quite a few, some of the top diving locations in the world, like Truck Lagoon, um, and, you know, where have you got anything on your bucket list, which is like your place that you really want to go to and dive and explore that you haven't been able to yet? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Cause I mean, in 20 years, I've been to a lot of places, but Antarctica, I got to I got to go free dive Antarctica at some point, right? Get my 30 mil wetsuit on. <laughs> no. um, yeah, I had an instructor, Jesse Liu, who uh, was there. Uh, I'd love to do that. Um, yeah, uh, Bikini Atoll. Uh, I'd love to free dive Bikini, you know, just like truck, a technical mm-hmm. scooter free dive that area. Um, yeah, there's just, you know, there's just so much to, to see and do. I mean, I've been really fortunate and dove, you know, throughout the whole of the Pacific and the Caribbean and been down to Brazil and taught in Norway and the UK, you know, Middle East and stuff like that. Uh, Wakatobi uh, Resort in Indonesia just blew me away with the corals and the life there. It's like the rest of the world was 50 years ago. So it kind of all depends on the style of free diving and what I'm doing. Yeah. On, it depends on where I want to go, right? Yeah. yeah. So where have you dived in the UK? Um, so uh, I've done the set tank. So the submarine escape tower that was oh, in Plymouth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? So yeah. Um, I've never actually been in the waters. <laughs> 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 so I've, I've dove the UK, but I've dove in a 30 meter deep pool, which yeah. unfortunately I don't think anyone gets to dive anymore. I think it was around 2002 yeah, yeah. or three. Howard Jones of Diver Magazine brought me in, uh, or Free Diver Magazine brought me in, and I did a little half-day clinic for the 
UK yeah. team at the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, no, that's good. So when you've been underwater, have you had any kind of marine animal experiences or have you got any marine animal you'd like to see that haven't? Um, so when we were filming the cove, we were in the Bahamas and um, we were trying to get this experience with dolphins. And, um, and so we were cruising along and a couple of dolphins. So we were being pulled behind a boat, right? And we're just, we're breath hold and we're just kind of coming up and going down and cruising along. And all of a sudden these four dolphins come up and they're right beside us. And so I had a camera and I was filming Mandy at the time. And so I said, let's jump off. So we let go of the boat and right away, two dolphins took off and this, these other two were just hanging around. And uh, eventually this one dolphin stayed, but it had found a piece of plastic in the water and it was bringing it up to Mandy and it was like showing it to her and playing with it. Like, oh, look, I can have it on my nose and oh, I've got it on my fin. And, you know, it, and, it, and it just, it interacted. I, actually, let me back up. We were cruising along and it went belly up to her right close. And so it took off again and was swimming around and then it went belly up like that and Mandy didn't touch it, but she put her hand out like that and it moved on to Mandy's hand. Yeah. It was at that point that it initiated the interaction, right? So yeah. we didn't touch it, it moved on to us. So yeah. at that point we said, let's jump off. So then we jumped off and it, we had this 45 minute interaction that brought Mandy and I to tears when we got out of the water later, because it was this, it was this interaction of this animal on its terms that it wanted with us. And it wasn't us chasing it. Yeah. And it was, and, and the sad thing about it was here it is this toy and it's this human garbage, yeah. you know, it's this piece of plastic that's choking our oceans and it's playing with it like a toy. You know, I, yeah. And you can't help but anthropomorphize that. It's like saying, Oh, look at my toy. <laughs> you want it back? <laughs> um so yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. And then, you know, some of the more tragic stuff we've seen as 73 dolphins get slaughtered in Taiji, Japan, because they kind of consider them a pest. And then, you know, we've had mantas and orcas locally, and I mean, giant Pacific octopus and just humpbacks. And I did uh, filmed blue whales. I mean, I could have poked a blue whale in the eyeball and the eyeballs this big. And it's just like <laughs> hey, looking, at, looking at, Oh yeah. I mean, you know, the heart's like the size of a Volkswagen beetle and we're on, I'm on scooter, like, you know, filming it going as fast as I can. And it's not even moving. It's not even, yeah. it's not even doing anything. And it's, you know, it's all I can do to keep up with the thing. And, you know, I'm right beside and it's looking me up and down quizzically. Like, what you doing? Yeah. Actually, I had this really good experience with a mother calf in Tonga shooting for um, racing extinction. And um, we had a 3D camera and it was overheating. So every once in a while, I'd have to give it out of the water and I take a little Subal Canon 5D with a fish eye and, and I'm down at like 10 meters and I've got this mother calf. So the mother's there and the calf's underneath because they're buoyant. So the calf goes under mom's chin and mom holds it down there and they're hanging out. And, you know, I'm about 15 meters away and I'm slowly moving in, slowly moving in and I'm framing from the back and I'm moving in. I'm thinking, oh, this composition is amazing. And, oh, I've got this. This is so good. This is so good. And all of a sudden I heard, and I, I looked up and there was mom's eye. Like I could have poked her in the eye <laughs> and I slowly swam back and, you know, and basically there I am moving in on her the whole time. And eventually she says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> you know, do you mind <laughs> slowly swim back? Sorry, mom. 
you know, and then the calf, it was, it was almost white, like completely white. So it was like within a week of being old. Um, and I'd never meant to get that close. I just, you know, forgot I was on a fish eye lens. And so I backed up and then the calf was like around me and like coming up right, right beside me and doing all the big whale moves that they have to learn and do so they can make the lower fifties on the way to Antarctica where the, you know, oceans are going to be 15 meters, uh, mm-hmm. tall. And, um, uh, and then after the calf would get just a little too rambunctious, mom would, and the calf would come right down under mom's chin and then slowly would come up. And then, you know, so that was pretty powerful. Nice. I was a new, I was a new dad at the time too. So seeing the mom, like take the little calf and on the nose and roll it down her back. And then the calf kind of fall off. I'm like, Oh, that was fun. Let's do it again. I was like, Oh my God, that's me and my daughter, you know? Yeah. So it's uh, pretty special. So um, talking special then, um, have you got three people who you would like to take in the water who maybe haven't done um, and you'd want to experience or get them to experience what it's like to be a free diver? Uh, could be anyone from history, can be anyone from pa- uh, past or present, you know, doesn't matter. Hmm. I think an influential political leader that could really appreciate the oceans and the peril that they're what we need to do. Yeah. So I hate I say I hate to say Joe Biden necessarily, but you know, probably the person that has the most power of levers to be able to pull and make change and influence oh, yeah. would would be one for sure. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's so many, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't think. I can't think of anything really offhand. What What are some of the ideas you've got? Choose family. What, what do you think? Some people choose family. Some people choose. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's been a popular one, hasn't it? David Attenborough has been another yeah. popular one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. 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 All of those would be. Uh, would Trump be good. for a swim. What's that? Take Mr. Trump for a swim. That'd be good for oh, him. I'd love to show him some breath hold. Yes. Yeah, that'd be yes. good. I have some really good techniques to get maximum times, you know, just gentle <laughs> pressure on the back of that. Um, no, it's not a political show, but I think it'd be good for him to see. Yeah. yeah. No, no, absolutely. I, you know, again, it's those, it's those, first off, you have to be open and willing to yeah. accept new ideas and the idea of, uh, you know, being in the ocean, seeing what you're seeing and appreciating it, because there's some people you just can't get through to. It's lost. Right? Yeah. It might be might be a, a waste of an opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. So if you've got any piece of equipment that you take down underwater that you can't do without or that is your favorite piece of equipment? Um, hmm. I have a very specific neck weight. So in free diving, we have weight belts, but we also have neck weights because it's about trim and balance. And so I've got this one that's really kind of designed for me and fits perfect and is just the exact amount of weight How heavy that I is need. Um, so it uh, depends on what I'm doing. Anywhere from, I'll talk to you in pounds, in about four to six pounds. Okay. Yeah. Probably yeah. about so, two Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but um, yeah, Oceaner makes me a wetsuit that's custom to my body. And so the first thing I tell a person, they want to get into free diving right away. They're like the long blade fins because that's iconic in free diving. 
And then there's low volume masks. But the thing I tell them is, listen, get yourself a good wetsuit. Like a surf suit is not going to cut it. A scuba suit's not going to cut it. You know, get yourself a good free dive suit, attached hood, Yamamoto, stretchy materials, because it is that thing that is, it's going to keep you warm because your first shiver you get, your resting oxygen consumption goes up 500%. You're not doing anything, but every muscle fiber in your body is trying to generate heat, right? Mm. And oxygen, every molecule of oxygen is important to us. Um, and then flexibility. I've got to be able to take that biggest breath in. Now, just floating at the collarbone, my lung volume's already reduced. I only have 70% of my lung volume. Now you want to wrap rubber on me, three to seven millimeters of it. So I want to have that open cell material and a really three-way flex um, nylon outer portion to it. And I want a specific cut in a free dive suit because I'm really hands over my head a lot. So you know, there's all these things in a, in a free dive suit that uh, I tell people, first thing, get yourself a really good wetsuit. It's going to help you breathe and it's going to keep you warm and you're not going to be restricted in your flexibility that a scuba suit with a, a zipper and all that stuff. With your experience, do you ever get called in uh, for advice for companies when they are looking at new wetsuits and they're thinking, right, you know, uh, we want to bring a new wetsuit out. We want to look at the technology involved in wetsuits to keep people warm and safe when they're doing these dives. Do you ever get involved? Do you ever get called in to help? Uh, yeah, well, Oceaner is a good example, right? They didn't have a free dive suit and it was me going to them saying, you guys need a free dive suit. And yeah. so we collaborated on this is the material, this is the cut, this is what we need. And, and now they are the de facto, you know, one of the de facto, especially in the competitive world, because they offer like custom screening. So everyone gets their custom colors and their custom screens on their suits. So they're willing to do that, right? Um, but yeah, so I, I, do a, I do a lot of little different consultations on computers and fins and all this sort of stuff. Um, I haven't over the last while because, you know, Avatar is a five to six day a week job in my wetsuit, 12 to 16 hours a day, sometimes not getting out of the water. So don't eat asparagus at lunch because you're in your wetsuit for the next eight hours without a break. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, that's been all consuming. So really with, with PFI, I'm so lucky that ITI uh, became a partner in it because it really allowed me to hand it off to a real customer service oriented company that uh, kind of handle it while I was all consumed, being all consumed on Avatar. So but, I, but I am finding myself with some months of time here. So if any companies out there want a presentation, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing. So what do you like to, after you had a really good dive, what do you like to ha sit down and relax to and have a, uh, do you like, do you like curry? Do you, is there a certain meal that you like? Uh, you know, what's the after dive meal or drink that you like? I like to rehydrate with very specific uh, sports drinks. For example, yeah. like pale ales are really good. Okay. Uh, Guinness. Yeah. That's a good uh, recovery drink. I find, um, Do they know sports recovery drinks. No, I'm not. <laughs> Do they know? Yeah. Well, they should. I mean, wasn't it in the tour de France? That's, you know, the cyclists would stop and have a beer because that was their, 
recovery drink. Um, yeah, no, after, yeah, after a dive. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not too picky. I just like to eat healthy sometimes, you know, wings and a beer are kind of nice too. So, you know, it's all about, it's all about balance in life. It right? is. Can't, yeah. can't be too healthy. I mean, you know, you got to have a little good with the bad. Got to keep things. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. My body's my body's my temple, but sometimes the liver has to be punished a little bit, right, Stephen? <laughs> Stephen Whalen in there. Okay. I remember that. I like that. It's good. Yeah. So, if you had a billboard that you could hold yeah. up underwater or out of the water, and you could put something on it to all, all the billions around the world, what would you yeah. put on it? It could be a statement, a picture. Um, the oceans are the blood of the world. Let's take care of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you notice a difference in the oceans you've been in from, you know, sort of 20 years ago to now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I've been going to the Cayman Islands and uh, in, they're no particular worse than anywhere else in the world. It's just I've been going there since, you know, 89. And, uh, you know, you see it. It's noticeable. If you've been in the waters that long, you and you keep going back to those same dive sites, you see there's less life the corals and the plants and everything are under pressure. Um, there's nowhere you can't go in the world. Like, you know, I think the, the last group that was back to the Marianas Trench, Challenger Deep found a Coke, you know, yeah. it's just like, we have polluted it, it just immensely. Um, you know, we have more man-made biomass in the oceans now than we have actually ocean life at this point. Mm -hmm. So that biodiversity loss is definitely a, a, a big thing. Right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's noticeable and it's scary noticeable. Yeah. You know, I've gone to the you know, first time I went to Tonga, I was like, all right, let's like, let's see some of the stuff. And then you get there and you're like, where's all the fish? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, like they're there, but you know, you're expecting like South Pacific from what you saw uh, on programs. And, and sometimes we do a disservice on documentary. Because it shows us just the best, mm. you know, planet Earth and, you know, the blue planet. And there's all these amazing things. And, you know, imagine the time they put in to get to find that one spot, which was what the whole world was like 100 years ago. And now we focus in on that one spot and it leads the viewer to believe that, oh, my God, look how amazing the ocean is when it's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, that one spot, that one drop in the whole bucket of water is all we're seeing the rest of it. You know, like bluefin tuna fleets. Did you, I always thought this was amazing. Um, um, the Cove, the Cove won uh, Sundance, but the film that I, if we hadn't won, that should have won. Uh, it was uh, based on a UK author at the end of the line about overfishing right over mm -hmm. exploitation of the oceans and they were talking about bluefin tuna fleet nets that they're so big they could fit 13 747s and now imagine 30 boats all lined up remote sensing being able to see where the biggest mass of the tuna are and these 30 boats each able to have all those 747s just come in and like scoop it all up so yeah we've won we've won the war on nature and harvesting like fish do not have a chance, oh, especially when it comes down to the tragedy of the comets and we're in the big oceans and pirate fishing and all of those sorts of things. And like I say, you know, 70% of the world's population's main source of protein is on oceans. And we are at risk of middle century having a collapse of commercial fish globally. I mean, 
we might be going to war over protein. So yeah, I hate to like bring a downer, but you know, that is the state of our oceans. Well, it's reality, isn't it? You know, you you can't just talk about all the the niceties and things like that and just ignore all the other stuff as well. It all has to be discussed. So yeah, Yeah. there's no problem with that at all. You know, for anyone who is uh, new to you um, and they want to find out more about yourself and the things that you do and maybe free diving, um, where are they best to go to to keep up to date and uh, to follow you? Do you, you know, I believe you've got a website. Yeah, yeah. So there's performancefreediving.com and performancefreedivingacademy.com. So those are good places. You know, Performance Free Diving International has a Facebook page. I also have a Facebook page, so I'm somewhat selective on, on that. I just don't <laughs> open it up to... Just because you have water in your picture doesn't mean I'm friending you. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's how people can keep up with uh, kind of what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm kind of in the dark for the past three and a half years because I've been hiding in a tank in a soundstage for Avatar. So yeah, people might think, oh, where did Kirk go, right? But uh, I'm still free diving. I'm free diving more than I've ever freed over in my life. I mean, yeah, one, one day, uh, Chris Dennison and I, one of the stunt divers, we logged in over three and a half hours of breath hold underwater yeah. on one day on Avatar. So, yeah. um, you know, in a 12-hour day, like Sorry. a quarter of our day was spent <laughs> holding our breath. <laughs> to give you an idea of some of the stuff we're, we're pulling on Avatar at this point. So it's a lot of fun, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, damn. <laughs> no wonder no wonder i'm feeling taxed huh? so have you got any questions for us um at all yeah i mean so um so how long have you guys been doing this the podcast we started podcast. in February. okay yeah. that's excellent yeah i like that and uh so what's your favorite type of diving well I'm- you don't have to say free diving <laughs> i'm okay with that just i want you to be honest what's your favorite type of diving I'm a new diver. I've only locked 18 dives. So because of the way this year has been, it's been yeah. getting the water. But hearing about free diving, I'd love to try it to support the scuba side as well, because obviously it's very new. And, you know, it's great it- cross training for scuba, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. that's me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. and I'm the same. I think, um, I think uh, if I was totally honest, yeah, I love scuba diving. Uh, yeah. I haven't done much on the free diving at all, apart from a bit of snorkeling, really. Yeah. Uh, and it'd be really good to, and some of the photos, you see some some of the uh, photos people take when the free diving is just yeah. absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah. To have a chance to take something that's half decent, free diving would be really great and learn some of the, the basics and the uh, techniques would be awesome. You know, so... Yeah. Um, that'd be that's definitely on the list for next year, really. Gotcha. I have one more question. So it's the post-COVID world and you've won a vacation for two weeks, all paid. Where are you going? Ooh. All right. Oh. I think mine would be the Bahamas. <laughs> I was thinking Bahamas. Yeah. Bahamas yeah. are good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Around, around there somewhere, I think would be really good. Yeah. 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 Nothing like sitting with a cocktail on the beach after, right? Yeah, I think yeah, to experience some clear water, clear blue water, because we're only used to, well, we've dived, I've done the North Sea. It's yeah. all right. And obviously inland lakes, sometimes it's a bit 
Yeah. Uh, Diving by Braille. <laughs> and over the course of this, we've we've um, had you know several conversations with um, uh, Christina Sonato, and oh, one of the yeah. things we always said we wanted to do at some stage is go and experience a shark dive with her. Yeah. You know, and that'd yeah. be that'd be one of the things that we'd, we'd definitely like to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's 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 got it wired down pretty tight, doesn't she? Where she's like balancing them on their their nose, they're balancing them vertical on her hand. And, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. 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 So fingers crossed whenever that may happen. Okay. Excellent. That's really, really good. Been, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, sort of. uh, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Glad you guys liked it. Yeah, because fun. It's easy to think free diving is just holding your breath and going down, but it's not. <laughs> no, there's so much no more exactly, exactly. I was just because we have non-divers listening to the podcast as well as divers, yeah. so yeah, to get that information out would be amazing. Yeah, and I think it, yeah, hopefully it might inspire a few more people to give it a go. Yeah, that's good. And like thanks that. for explaining the details as well. You know, earlier on because you know a lot of the times you know it's easy to forget about the physiology and the details and um, right. you know, those get forgotten about because people just see all the glossy photos and right. forget about actually all the training and uh, yeah. actually what's actually involved in it, how to yeah. actually get there. So thank you very much for explaining that. So thank yeah, you. You're welcome. Yeah. Right. You guys. yeah. It's been a good way to sort of get information out there in, you know, times yeah. when physically meet people and uh, yeah, sort of yeah. well it's funny because when I left a couple of days before I was going to leave I, I just got back from New Zealand right from working on Avatar and a couple of days before I was leaving I was like damn you know I'm going back to COVID I'm going back to like you know keep your distance and I just had this overwhelming urge to go up and hug everyone you know going up to the lighting guy which I barely know hey man oh been great working with you oh bring it in uh, you know just like you just forget like how much we need that connection yeah. the simple physical handshake or that hug right if i could i'd give you guys a hug because that's a very canadian thing to do yeah <laughs> thank you very much for your time all right guys yeah, it. yeah. A lot of fun. thank you very much <laughs> okay so we'll be in touch and um yeah. let you know when it's coming out sounds great right have a good bye. christmas won't you all right thanks very much thank you very much bye bye, bye. So, Jim, uh, what do you think to that conversation? Yeah, really interesting. It makes me want to try freediving. They do. And uh, maybe that be something we can get into next, uh, well, I say next this year. year. <laughs> this summer would yeah. be really good. And uh, it's, you know, really great. And uh, he's, he's done a lot, let's be fair. And uh, it's really great with some of the uh, films that he's been involved in. And I'll be interested to look out for Avatar two and three, and I love the fact that they they're going to have a message. You know, when they come out, yeah. there's a message about them. They're not just a Hollywood, you know, great bang. You know, all the glitz of movies and that. There, there is actually a message about it, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, it's going to be good for the underwater world, I think, and the diving industry, and yeah, just making people much more aware of our underwater environment. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really good. Um, so brilliant. Thank you very much, Kirk, for coming on and uh, sparing some time with us to yeah. uh, talk yeah. about that. So that, that was really great. Um, so coming up on episode 56, Jim, we have <laughs> got uh, another great guest for our, our listener. Who we have we got? We've got Autumn 
Plum from Stream to Sea. Yeah, I, that is her name. And although I did refer to her as um, Autumn, Autumn Bloom, because I <laughs> thought that was what her name was. But, you know, she does correct me and says, you know, that's, she's, she's used to that. And um, But, yeah, um, I think Autumn Bloom is a great name. Yeah, it's very pretty. It is. It is a pretty name. So that's really great. And, um, you know, we it's another one of our partners who we sell some of their products for. Yeah. Yeah. So and her story about the cosmetic side of things is pretty shocking as well. So and it's really interesting hearing her story from where she has come to where she is now. Yeah. And especially like microplastics. So uh, if you have got your nose into recycling and uh, you're into your um, beach cleaning and things like that, this is an episode for you. Mm. particularly because uh, there's a lot of talk of why you should be using um, creams and lotions. You know, that's how I look so young, really, Jen. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, that, you know, using the right creams and lotions and things like that, not only keep you looking young and fresh like me, but it also does its bit to help the ocean, you know, and you're using the right stuff and not pollution, polluting our oceans because it's not just about the stuff that you can see, Jen. No, it's not. It's shocking what you can't see. You know? And what it's doing to marine life as well. It's- yes, it certainly yeah. is. But, so that is number 56, and that'll be out next week. Yeah, next Friday. Uh, very quickly, just a little heads up uh, for everybody. So we will be doing a little bit of news, uh, I think we should tell our listener, mm-hmm. that we're going to be fourth element dealers. Yeah. It will be really good. Um, so that's in the process, and that'll be coming. It will be telling you and uh, releasing a bit new, bit more news about that um, very shortly. So uh, yeah, keep an eye on our social media about that. Yeah, yeah, that's all exciting stuff. It certainly is. Yeah, and I love Fourth Element uh, thermals, and uh, you've got a good set of thermals with them as well, haven't you? Yeah, and a lovely dry suit as well. They are, absolutely. So they make some absolute, and they're very innovative as well Mm. when it comes to, again, protecting our oceans. And uh, so uh, they fit in really well, you know, so uh, it's brilliant. Really pleased to have with us. So that's it for episode 55, I think. It it? certainly is. Right, I'm going to go lay down in a darkened room. That's it for me. And we'll that's what it see. does to you. It certainly does. That's it for me. Done for the weekend. So uh, brilliant. Thank you very much for listening to the Big Scuba podcast one more time. Uh, don't forget about where you can save money. Look for our show notes. And don't forget to send us a WhatsApp message on the Big Scuba back phone. Make it glow red. Plus 447810. Double zero five nine two four. There we go. So you heard it here. Anyway, that's it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye, everyone.